Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Sloan, your bartender for today. And I'm Trish, your crime tender. And today we're going to talk about the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Trish told me that I'm going to know the story, so we will see. We all know that I have a really wonderful memory. <laughs> it's one that I know a couple podcasts have definitely covered before. And once I get into the details, you'll probably be like, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So, once again, this is one of those where one of us thinks the other one knows it. So, I guess at the end, we'll play a little game and figure out if I did know it. (laughs) But uh, that is the case for today, and we hope you enjoy it. Right, today, well, this is your bartender Sloan, and today <laughs> I'm going to take a little break from our moonshine tour that we have going on to bring you a fun summer margarita. Um, I got this drink idea from Alyssa in the kitchen on TikTok. I will try to remember to tag her socials and everything uh, that we post, but what she did was she took her tequila and she poured it in a mason jar over fresh jalapenos. So the tequila had a jalapeno taste to it and it was really good. I've tried muddling jalapenos into the margarita before and it was absolutely terrible. This was much better. So pour the tequila over your jalapenos in a mason jar, put your lid on, shake it, let it sit while you're getting everything else ready. And then I cut up two limes. I cut up half a peach, grabbed honey and the tequila. I also did a tahine rim on mine, but it would be really good with like a sugar or even a salt rim. But in the, in my mixing tin, I muddled the half of a peach and then I juiced my lime into there. And then I put about a half a tablespoon of honey. I would, I think Mike's hot honey would be the best in this, but I cannot find it anywhere. So I just used regular honey. It was still good. And then I did 1.5-ish ounces of the jalapeno tequila. Mix, uh, shake it all up with ice. And then I strained it into my glass with the tahine rim over fresh ice. And it is delicious. It's a kind of lower calorie drink, if that's something that you're interested in. I love my margarita mixes from the store, but I'm also kind of trying to move away from them considering how much we drink margaritas. And so I'm trying to work my way into more like natural ingredient margaritas. And this was a great first step for me. So if this sounds like something you would enjoy, I highly recommend this peach jalapeno margarita. All right. Welcome to another case with your crime tender, Trish. And today I'm doing, as we said in our intro, The Disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Again, if you listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and stuff, you have probably heard this. And you might remember it, the name might like spark something right off the bat, or you might have forgotten. And once I start going into details, you'll, you'll be like, oh yeah, remember this. So, our story takes place in Columbus, Ohio. So, you know, I had to. I had to. (laughs) It's been a while since we've been to Ohio. (laughs) We were there like every week for a while. And then it's been a while. I'm sorry that there's a lot of trauma in Ohio, okay? (laughs) 
understatement. <laughs> We're not okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but this place, this takes place in Columbus, Ohio on March 31st, 2006 into the early hours of April 1st, 2006. So I graduated high school in 2007 I admit I was not the best at, like, watching the news back then. So, like, I really don't remember hearing this about, like, this case. But it's, like, to me, it's crazy to think that something so close to, like, when I went to school, like, Mm -hmm. this happened. So, Brian Schaefer was 27 and a medical student from Ohio State University. He grew up in Pickerington, Ohio, which is a suburb of, like, Columbus, kind of. It's like, if you're coming from, like, where I grew up in Ohio to, like, get to Columbus, you'll hit Pickerington before you hit actual, like, downtown Columbus. He is the eldest of two sons. His parents are Randy and Renee Schaefer. And Brian did his undergrad at... Ohio State University, and six years later graduated with a degree in microbiology. These people, like, I don't under... (laughs) I did nursing for a hot minute, and let me tell you, I was good at science in high school, and when I got to college, I thought, oh, it'll be easy. No. And then the amount of horror stories I heard from people with microbiology and, like, organic gum, I'm like, oh. So the fact that, you know, we have people that they're like, oh, this is easy. I can get past this. I'm like, I am one of the biggest foodies you will ever know in your lifetime. And I started out in college as a culinology student, which was nutrition and culinary arts together. And my first semester, I had to take chemistry. And I failed the fuck out of that class. And I changed my major immediately. (laughs) Like, I literally left my hopes and dreams behind because I could not stand chemistry. Yeah. It's just... The fact that someone can graduate with a degree in like that, I'm like, wow. You got patience. (laughs) Patience and and you smart. He then went to the Ohio State University College of Medicine in... 2004 and during his second year there in the march of 2006 his mother actually passed away from a form of cancer that affects blood cells in the bone marrow his friends say that he seemed to be handling the loss well but her death was hard for him i mean it's understandable that's your mom i'm lucky my parents are like my best friends I know that's not the case for everybody. That's different for other people. <laughs> but, like, if one of my parents passed away, I I already know I'd be a wreck. I was a wreck when my uncle, who's not really my uncle, passed away. Yeah. So, <sighs> props to him for being able to, like, carry on with school. So, while at med school, Brian started seeing another med student, Alexis Wagoner, I'm thinking, is how the last name is said. Their relationship became serious enough that friends and family believed Brian was planning to propose in 2006. They had a trip planned to Miami for spring break at the beginning of April. 
So kind of keep that timeline in mind. Okay. He lost his mom in March. And there was a possible proposal plan for April. Like he had a plan for his spring break. So now we get on to our story. On March 31st, classes at Ohio State University ended for spring break the next week. Brian and his father, Randy, celebrated by going out for a steak dinner. While at dinner, Randy noticed that his son looked exhausted from having pulled all-nighters while cramming for some important exams. He knew Brian's plans to go out with friends, and he thought maybe he should just go home and rest instead of going out, but he didn't mention it to his son because, I mean, your son's an adult. You can make that suggestion, but are they going to listen? Probably not. Probably not. I wouldn't at that time. <laughs> right? So, Brian and his friend, William Clint Florence, I'm going to call him Clint because that's how a lot of the time they reference him in the different articles, were celebrating the start of their spring break. They went out celebrating and met up around 9 p.m. at a place called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. So this is located in South Campus Gateway Complex on High Street in Columbus, which if you've never been to like that area, it is like it's real close to campus. It's got a lot of bars in that. You'll see like once school's in session in that and even not when it's in session just because you have such a high like college population. You have people that stay there just year round. It's like, you'll see, it's like, it pulls a lot of younger crowd. About an hour later, Brian called Alexis, who had gone home to Toledo to see family for their trip to Miami. Toledo's not too far from, like, Columbus. I want to say, you're probably looking at, like, two to three hours, depending on... Like, what part of Toledo? So, after this, Brian and Clint went bar hopping, working their way down the arena district. Which, that's another thing about, like, where this all takes place. It's by, they call it the arena district because it's where, like, the hockey arena is. And, like, it's just, it's, like, kind of the main hub for, like, social life, I guess, in Columbus. It's the, if you've been to Nashville, it's the, like, second and Broadway of Columbus. Like I said, after this, Brian and Clint went bar hopping, working their way down the arena district. At each stop, according to Clint, they had one shot each of hard liquor. That's going to catch up to you fast. <laughs> Especially if you're mixing beer with it. Uh, at midnight, they met up with a friend of Clint's, Meredith Reed, who gave them a ride back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna and joined them for a last round. At some point, Brian is separated from Clint and Meredith. They searched for Brian and repeatedly called him, but when they got no answer and the bar closed at 2 and they left along with like the other patrons... And they didn't see him amongst, like, the crowd of people leaving. They just assumed that he had gone back to his apartment without letting them know. So, Alexis and Randy 
both tried calling him later that weekend, but got no answer. Monday morning, he missed his flight to Miami that he had scheduled long before, and this is when the family finally reported him as missing to Columbus police. Police began their search at the ugly Tuna Luna where Brian was last seen. And so I said this is like a big like area for like college kids and that to go to, but this is also like a big city. So it does have its crime and that so security cameras are very like popular for businesses and that around there. So like it's a well like documented area. So police reviewed the footage and saw Brian, Clint, and Meredith going up the escalator to the bar's main entrance at 1.15 a.m. At 1.55, Brian is seen outside the bar talking to two women and saying goodbye and moving off camera to re-enter the bar. There is no footage of Brian ever leaving the bar. The sighting at 1.55 is the last time he's actually seen, like, on camera or at all. So there are some theories as to how this is possible. One investigator say he could have changed clothes in the bar or put on a hat and kept his head down hiding his face from the camera. But here's my thing with that. Where is the supposed change of clothes come from? Like, yeah, he just like have them in his back pocket. <laughs> like what? And then also the hat. Where does the hat come from? Does he steal it from someone? Like, what? Did somebody, like, give him clothes and a hat to change into? Yeah. Did he somehow have a bag stash somewhere? I mean, like, it's there's possible answers, but they're not likely answers. Yeah. In my opinion. The second theory, they say the camera simply could have missed him. One constantly panned the area and the other were... Like, was operated manually, which, I mean, I guess that's a viable, like, explanation. He could just, so it could just timed itself perfectly that he left without, like, when the cameras were both just, like, not observing them. But I feel like if one's, like, like, manually operated, you would pretty much have it always pointed at, like, the exit and entrance. It would just make sense. If the other one's like panning, why would you not have one always pointed? The last is he could have left another way, but the only problem with this is the only other exit was a service door that was used by that like wasn't used by the public and at the time open to a construction site that officers say would have been difficult for anyone to walk through, let alone someone that was intoxicated which at this point he had to have been intoxicated you say that you've been hop like bar hopping you've taken a shot at like each place plus you've had other drinks and now you're back at the last place and you know like there's like yeah corroboration that they had a shot and a drink already so like i said being as columbus is such a big say it's also like the state capital of ohio in a huge college town there are a lot of security cameras. It actually has the most in the state of Ohio, which to me is not shocking. 
So officers began to look at cameras from the surrounding bars and none showed a trace of Brian. It's like this kid just disappeared. Posters with his picture and a picture of a tattoo of a stick figure logo from cover artwork of the single Alive by Pearl Jam. And noting a distinctive fleck in one of his irises were posted widely. Um, I think I get into it later. The I think it's the tattoo is on his like right arm and then the like fleck on the iris that they talked about was in the left eye. But like I said, I get into it later. So we'll get back to those like little distinctive like markers. Like I said, this kid just, like, he entered this bar and there's no footage of him ever leaving in, like, any way possible. So, and after police looked at security footage for surrounding areas just to see if he, like, just would randomly pop up and he didn't, police actually went so far as to get, like, a warrant to search the, like, sewer system. And that still produced nothing for them. So finally, they end up at Brian's apartment on Kings Avenue. Ugh, if I can speak. Kings Avenue, which is six blocks from the bar. His car was still parked outside. And inside, nothing was amiss. So like I said, they finally end up at his apartment. Nothing seems to be amiss. His car is still there. Police have to basically just move on from there because there's no signs of him, like, returning and, like, packing hurriedly or anything like that. It, I mean, his car is still there, so, like, it's not even that he took his car. So, police continue their search miles away from the ugly tuna and the apartment, and they still have no leads, and they begin begin to consider some other possibilities. So it was suggested that due to his mother recently passing, he had gone away to grieve in solitude. And they think that maybe it was supposed to be a temporary disappearance, but it proved to be permanent. Although there is no evidence to, like, basically back this little theory. Uh, lie detector tests were given to those who had seen him that night, like his father and Meredith, who passed theirs. Meanwhile, Clint refused to take one. It's a little sketch. Just a little. And it, get, it gets even more sketch later on. Like, Clint has never taken a lie detector even after, like, all these years, and he actually, like, I think, I think it's, like, I want to say it was a lawyer that he got, came out with a statement basically saying, you know, you know, it was suggested that Brian is still alive after all these years, and, you know, he's doing this to hurt his family, and it would just save us all a bunch of time and trouble if he would just come out and stop being selfish. I'm like, <laughs> dude, so, Alexis, his girlfriend, Brian's girlfriend, called Brian's phone every night for a while after his disappearance. The phone usually went to voicemail, but this one night it actually rang three times. 
So obviously this, that's a huge break for police, but singular, <laughs> please tell me you remember singular. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, that brings me back. Yes. Singular, okay. right. Singular was the phone provider for Brian at this time. They said that it could have rang due to a computer glitch, but police were actually able to track the ping through like the towers and it actually pinged in Hilliard, which is 14 miles northwest of Columbus. But unfortunately, there was no like GPS enabled in this phone. Mm. I mean, this is early, yeah. like 2000s. We didn't really think of adding that to phones at the time. I'm sh- sure. Like, it's not like what it is the today. Very, very fancy phones might have had them. But, like, your yeah. basic one definitely... Did. Mine did not. Yeah. <laughs> but, so... Other than seeing, like, where it pinged, that was about as much as police could do. So, along with, like, the phone that, like, was missing... And for the most part, was going to voicemail, except for this one random time. Brian's credit cards, bank accounts, like, they went untouched. Nothing was taken out. Nothing was added. It just, they sat there idle, which is another, like, to me, that's another, like, red flag. Yeah. If he disappeared, he's going to need money. Yeah. He doesn't have a car, so he's going to need something to, to get around. Yeah. Money for somewhere to eat at, stay, yeah. transportation. It's just. So, police have received many tips which have led to nothing. There's been possible sightings of Brian in Michigan, Texas, and Sweden. They've all been investigated, but still, there's been nothing suggesting that it's Brian. Yeah. How would he have done it without his money, though? Exactly. So, sadly, you have Randy Schaefer, who has just lost his wife. Then his son has gone missing. He's continuing to search for his son. And this psychic basically takes advantage of his vulnerability. This reminds me of my favorite episode of SVU. It's the Martin Short episode. Where he's the psychic and he's <laughs> acting like he's helping them, but he's actually the one that's holding the girl hostage oh, the whole course. time. That's my favorite Law and Order SVU episode. <laughs> and yes, I have a favorite Law and Order SVU episode. It's fine. So a psychic told him Brian's body was in the water near a bridge pier. This prompted him, his younger son, and others to search the. I used to know how to say this river, and I think I've just been away from the area too long. She's a southerner now, (laughs) y'all. I think it's pronounced Olatangi. (laughs) But it literally looks like Tangy River, which flows through Columbus, adjacent to the OSU uh, campus. They actually searched it for Brian's body, and this turned up empty as well. Police did briefly consider the smiley face murder theory. 
but if this theory were to be true, it would make Brian the only victim of the serial killer whose body was not found. Which, if you don't know the smiley face killer, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that one at some point. That's another one that you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. But yeah, Brian was thought to be as a possible victim at some point, but most law enf- enforcement agencies and the FBI rejected it because of, like, it just really not fitting the whole MO and stuff. In September of 2008, Randy did pass away from an unfortunate accident while cleaning debris out of his yard. A branch blew off of a tree and struck him, and his neighbors didn't find him till the next morning. Mm. After the obituary ran, a condolence book was posted, and one signature said, To Dad, Love Brian. With U.S. Virgin Islands basically being the, like, tag, I guess you could say. So, this was looked into as, like, Brian possibly reaching out and, like, leaving a message and that. But it was proven to be written from a public computer in Franklin County. To which I say... So, not the Bahamas. Yeah. To which I say, whoever wrote that, you are a sick human being. This family has lost a mother, now a father, and you have a son that's missing. Slash probably. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) So, Brian's remaining family is basically his younger brother, who still is searching for him and hopes that, you know, one day he's going to find him. Whether that's him alive or not, he just, you know, they want a sense of closure. And we are now, this is 16 years ago. So for 16 years, he has had to live with the fact that his brother went out one night and just vanished. Yeah. There's no video footage showing anything. There's no leads. He just, he was at a bar. And then it was like suddenly he just wasn't. So Brian was last seen wearing a blue or green striped shirt, jeans, and tennis shoes. He is 6'2", weighing about 160 to 165. He has brown hair and hazel eyes. He is a white man. A white man? No! (laughs) I was waiting for it. White man, no! <laughs> All right. Is it Schmidt? Mm-hmm. I was like, right? I was like, a Schmidt? Yeah. <laughs> Schmitty, Schmidt, Schmidt. Um, like I said, he does have a Pearl Jam tattoo. I was right on his upper right arm and has a dot on his left eye on the iris. Those are like his big, like, discerning features, I guess, that kind of make him look not like the average white man. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation released an age-progressed photo of what they believe Brian would look like today. He would be 42, and I'll be sure to include that in with, like, the little post that we do. I have all the pictures. I just gotta send them to you. But... 
It's going to be terrible. I looked at it and I was like, why does he look so familiar? And then I was like, he kind of looks like the Cincinnati football like head coach, like the Bearcats huh. head coach. And I was like, Does no. he have the Pearl Jam tattoo? <laughs> I was like, no, this is not Coach Fickle. But like, that's like my mind, my mind does this thing where it's like, I'll see someone. And if I think you look, it'll start just going through and I'll be like, oh, that's who you look like to me. But at the same point, that also means like I can look at people and I could have maybe interacted with you once, twice, or just seen something. And then if I see you in passing or whatnot, I'll be like, wait a minute. Where do I know you from? My brain works very weird. Which is also why Logan hates watching Mass Singer with me. Because I will literally <laughs> hear a voice and be like, I know this. It's so frustrating. <laughs> It'll be like the first episode that they're on. And she's like, I think this is so-and-so. And she's right most of the time. This season was bad. It was terrible. I, I don't think I got anybody. The past few seasons have been terrible. I'm getting over this show. <laughs> it was so much fun in the beginning. And now it's like. Uh, so yes, Leo. High Bureau Criminal Investigation released this age progress photo. Like I said, I'll put it in the show. Like little notes or what we do. And they also ask if you have information regarding the case or have any tips to call Columbus Division Police at 614-645-2358. I believe this is just like a tip line, so it's not going to block up like the normal call-ins. But if you're from the area or even like you know, you just possibly have seen someone that kind of looks like this guy. Definitely, you know, don't be afraid to be like, hey. Are you Brian? Yeah. But that is my case. Does it? Did it ring any bells for you? Yes, it sounds familiar. I know I've definitely listened to it, <laughs> but it, it... Like I said, I know uh, Crime Junkies did it. I want to say... That and that's why we drink did it. I don't know. There's been, like I said, there's been a few podcasts that have definitely done it, and there's also been like things from I want to say Discovery Plus has mm -hmm. like a few shows that have done a covering of it. It's also been the kind of basis for certain shows to do something kind of similar to it. So, yeah. But like I said, this is one of those cases that's it's still ongoing. 16 years later, they still don't have an answer. So I feel like even though it is one that's been done before, it is something that, you know, can get out. And maybe someone for the first time is hearing it and they see the pictures, maybe. It just takes one person to, like, see the, like, hear something or see something to be like oh I know this or yeah. maybe this is you know more than what I thought was and they report it and then suddenly we have our answers so with that we will leave you with all this information like I said be sure to check out like our little show notes and our little um Facebook, Instagram post when Flo gets caught up on those again. 
end. It is what it is. <laughs> we'll kick you off to the last call. We're back with another last call with your bartender, Sloan. And today I bring you another story brought to you by TikTok. Oh, fun. It is fun. So there is a scientist way back when, like 1920, no, he was born in 1924. So like 1950s, 1960s. But he found out that plants actually have a lot more emotion and understanding than we think they do. And like, you know, people, gardeners will tell you if you talk nice to your plants, like they'll grow bigger and all that stuff. But just his research, I was watching the TikTok and I was like, this is interesting as fuck. And I want to talk about it. So I found an article from the New York Times that I will read to you to explain this whole thing a lot better than I ever could do in my own words. All right. Uh, Grover Cleveland Baxter Jr. could always spot a liar. As he liked to tell it, he served in the Navy during World War II, but his interest in deception soon led him to the Army Counterintelligence Corps. While he specialized in hypno and narco interrogations, aka truth serums, then in 1948 he joined the CIA where he claimed he founded the agency's polygraph program. So that's interesting too. A decade later, Baxter moved back to New York and then opened the Baxter School of Lie Detection, where he taught NYPD detectives and FBI agents. He tested in courtrooms and before Congress, and his famed Baxter Zone Comparison Technique, a methodology for conducting polygraphs, is still wi widely used. Baxter's success made him a law enforcement legend, but he was always happier proving people innocent. I like to think of the polygraph as a truth detector, he once said. And that is not what it is used for these days. But this was all a prelude to Baxter's real-life work, which began in the early morning hours of February 2nd, 1966. Baxter had been up all night in his office on West 46th Street and had just poured himself a cup of coffee when he noticed a houseplant. I can't pronounce that. Plant? <laughs> Anyways, his secretary bought to brighten the office. On a lark, Baxter, who had, playful, who had a playful streak that belied his military background, he was somebody that actually studied astrology and dabbled with LSD and suppo supposedly spent a summer as a stunt diver in a circus. My kind of dude. <laughs> he decided to hook the plant up to his lie detection machine. In human subjects, a polygraph measures three things, pulse, respiration rate, and galvanic skin response, otherwise known as perspiration. If you're worried about being caught in a lie, your, le your levels will spike or dip. Baxter wanted to induce a similar anxiety in the plant, so he decided to set one of its leaves on fire. But before he could even get a match, the polygraph registered an intense reaction on the part of the, on the, of the plant. To Baxter, the implication was an indisputable as it was unbelievable. Not only had the plant demonstrated fear, but it had also read his mind. Because oh. mind you, he had not picked up the match. Like the plant started freaking out as soon as he was like, how do I, how do I uh, bring out the fear in this plant? Oh, I'm going to light it on fire. Let me find a match. And the plant started freaking out on the lie detector test. Poor plant. Baxter concluded that plants had some heretofore undiscovered sense. He called it he called it primary perception that could detect and respond to human thoughts and emotions. When he publicized his findings, the so-called Baxter effect became a pop culture hit. 
There was a TV program hosted by Leonard Nimoy and a best-selling book, The Secret Life of Plants, inspired by Baxter's research. Baxter was interviewed by Johnny Carson and, like, all these other people. Even Baxter's old employee employers at the CIA investigated the possibility of human-plant communication. Scientists, however, were less convinced. No one could reproduce Baxter's results, a problem Baxter explained away with a variety of post-hoc qualifiers. A lettuce leaf didn't respond to harmful stimuli. It probably shut down to protect itself. As a result, Baxter mainly worked outside the establishment, publishing his findings in outlets like the International Journal of Parapsychology. Parapsychology. That was a big word for Elmo. And yet, publicly at least, his faith never wavered. Baxter went on experimenting until the end, expanding his theory of non-human consciousness to encompass chicken eggs and even sperm, forever finding more proof of what he called the fundamental attunement between living things. He never married, preferring the company of his Siamese cats, and he never again performed experiments that burn plants. If the pseudoscience of his second act retroactively called into question the science of his first, after all, what is lie detection but mind reading by another name, Baxter remained unbowed. Such high resistance to new ideas does not concern me, he once said. I have a truly wonderful ally, Mother Nature. So, I thought that was very interesting, and especially, like, considering how high up in science and the CIA and all that kind of stuff he was, and you all know that I like to put on my tinfoil hat, this was a great opportunity to do so. So, I hope you enjoyed that little story. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you liked what you heard, you can leave us a review or rate us wherever you're listening. We really would appreciate that five-star rating. It helps us out a lot. Or you could just share this episode with somebody that you think would enjoy it. You can also find us at our social medias. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Across the board, it's all Tequila She Wrote. We also have the Tequila She Wrote at gmail.com as an email if you want to request any cases or drink recipes, suggestions, anything like that. We also have our Patreon. Easiest way to find that is by pretty much going to our link tree, which is linked in our... I know it's at least linked on Instagram. Just go on there, you click the little Patreon thing. It'll take you directly to our page. Other than that, you gotta go to patreon.com backs yeah backslash tequila she wrote i believe is mm-hmm. the easiest way to find that i don't know pa- yep. uh, patreon's redoing their stuff so it might be you might be able to search for us now i haven't checked lately but anyways we do have patreon for as little as two dollars a month you get ad free episodes and you get a bonus episode as long as we keep up on track with that which we've been behind but life's been kind of chaotic lately (laughs) so i do apologize we are behind on that a little bit um and then if you do a little bit more you get like bonus tiers and you get some merch and stuff and yeah just some extra little bonus content we're also open to suggestions on that so if there's something we're not including that you think we should we'll look into it see what how we can accommodate that and yeah Um, until next time. Bye.